Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Bible Study Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with our Wednesday evening Bible studies here in this podcast. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson. Okay, uh, I think where I left off, I think we talked about the prince of this world. Did I talk about that? We're in, I think, section four of your outline. Okay? Okay, so let's unpack this one. The other term for Satan's title is Prince of the Power of the Air, which basically emphasizes where Satan's abode is and the demonic abode, which is the atmospheric heavens around Earth. And and basically has to do with, the Prince aspect has to do with him being in authority over the fallen angels that, that, uh, that followed him in the rebellion, and then also has to do with the demonic as well. And uh, so let's, let's talk about that and how it concerns things. Um, so basically, space is the abode of Satan and fallen angels. So uh, around the earth, the atmosphere, and in space is where their abode is. Now, they have access to our abode, the earthly abode, and they have access to the third abode, which is where God is at. They can go back and forth between this world and that world. They can materialize in our world and materialize out of it, uh, or dematerialize. So when you're looking at where they operate, it's in the heavens, okay? This is why when you go back to the Tower of Babel, why they were worshiping the stars. The stars, they weren't necessarily worshiping stars as in, as understanding them to be suns or planets or whatever shined in the sky. What Babylon was doing is worshiping fallen angels, and they basically had the idea that behind every star was a fallen angel. That's how they looked at it. So typically in your Bible, angels are called stars. Uh, even fallen angels are called stars because they have a luminescent feature about them. They look like stars from far away. They glow. Um, so when you talk about the prince of the power of the air, he's talking about the abode in which the demons are now at. That's their modus operandi. And that's why, probably just to do a segue real quick, of why you're seeing so many UFOs, so uh, sightings, and different things in the air that's now being reported and being legitimized by the Pentagon and the Navy and our, our military, and it's around the world that they're starting to see high levels of activity going on in the atmosphere. This goes to show, too, if you do a little research on UFOs and our astronauts that go into space, um, a lot of them report that they saw things up there when they were in space. Um, some of the designations, as they called it a Santa Claus, uh, they called it all kinds of different names, but they did see things following them. They saw things in the air, in the atmosphere, in space, on the moon, different locations where we, man has been in those areas, and they have saw all kinds of crazy stuff. Now, un- up until now, NASA has dismissed all that, but again, now it's coming out that we really did see things. And the astronauts report this, and now the Pentagon's come out and said this is, yeah, and I think you realize that they're prepping the world for something, right? The fact that we're seeing all these uh, UFO things, and I don't even, they don't even call them UFOs. For, I think they call them unidentified phenomenal aerials, UPAs or something like that, or UAPs, whatever. Um, 
it's demonic. It's fallen angels because that's the abode in which they're from and that's the activities that they do. So some of our Navy pilots have actually caught them off the coast of San Diego and followed them. And one of these uh, fallen angels was, was mirroring the actions of the fighter jet and then can just take off um, light speed, man. I mean, just beyond anything human and, and then stop and make a right turn. And that, that's an indication that's not a physical craft. That's not a, because if you had like, let's say you had ET in a craft, in the laws of the universe, I don't care where you're from, uh, if you're an ET in a, in a craft, you would be crushed by that kind of speed and that kind of turning at, at a 90 degree angle. So, they won't go this far. I've heard some of them say it, but not. They won't fully go out there and say, "Look, these these things are not of our realm. They're multidimensional or interdimensional." I've heard a few of them say that, but not officially. And that's basically what these are. They're 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 beings impersonating certain things, impersonating aircraft, and uh, and they're they're fallen angels. And if, remember, fallen angels are shapeshifters. Um, Fallen angels can take on the identity of a fallen loved one. That's why many of them are called familiar spirits. Um, they can actually look, smell, the whole thing, talk, just like a dead loved one. That's why many people confuse ghosts thinking that's a dead loved one when it's actually a familiar spirit or a shapeshifter that has the ability to take on the identity of something. Well, if you look at the history of uh, UFOs, uh, they were happening back in the, even in the 1800s, and what they would appear to be is from Mars, and they would appear to be um, a, a balloon, because uh, that was what the technology was back then, uh, uh, you know, hot air balloons and stuff like that. So these creatures would form in, uh, these, these images that looked like hot air balloons, and then they would tell the people that they're from Mars. So they traveled, to, I mean, think about how stupid that is. That the, they, they used the technology of the day, and they would tell people, we traveled in a balloon from Mars, and so we're here to tell you what's going on. And so notice how things have changed. They don't say now they're from Mars, and they don't travel in weather balloons. They travel in you know shapes that we're familiar with that's a little bit more advanced, it looks appears like, um, but then they say they're from another galaxy. And instead of saying Mars, they're from another galaxy. But really, that's their abode. That's what, where they, 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 they come from. And that's why you should, you should probably expect more of this to happen as the time grows near. Um, because they have to come up with a, uh, an excuse for why we disappear. And again, the demons have already channeled uh, people and told them this is what's going to happen. There's going to be millions of people disappear. And basically what they have told them is it's the spacecraft that take, took them and transported them to be re-educated. And, 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 and basically that's what they have said. Um, and and that, uh, that we, uh, we Christians were the ones holding the spiritual evolution of humanity back. And Mother Earth had to purge uh, herself of these, these, these people who were holding back Mother Earth and the spiritual evolution of humans. And, and so they got the whole thing, and then they added in, yeah, uh, oh, and by the way, don't be worried that the kids and babies are gone either because uh, uh, they're, they're going to be taken care of by the aliens as well. Because, again, the rapture will take children who are not of the age of accountability. So this 
this thing that you see in the sky is a big deal. Now, when people start having problems, demonic problems, well, some of the, the reports for them when you ask them, you know, have you ever been involved in the occult? Um, they'll say yes. So most of the people who see aliens, see lights and stuff like that, have been involved in the occult. Not all, but a lot of them, the majority of them. So young, at a young age, they have opened themselves up to the occult some way, or their family opened themselves uh, uh, to them, and they will report that they have seen lights in the sky since they were young. They have seen things going on and uh, in their backyard and all kinds of weird stuff ever since they were little kids. And, and usually if you pin them down a little bit, you'll, you'll find out that somewhere there's an open door. That's why they're seeing them. Um, interesting enough about alien abductions, which is mirrors satanic rituals, it's the same thing. Um, in the satanic ritual and in the alien abduction, they, uh, they're always messing with the genitalia of the person, always with the reproductive aspects of the person, and that matches satan uh you know satanism and the the whether it's an alien or in satanic ritual the creatures always smell like sulfur there's a small uh, smell of sulfur and there's a uh, uh, a burnt smell when you're around them now that's weird why do aliens smell like sulfur right and then the message of the aliens every time in in in, in an abduction is that uh we um, we want to tell you that we're your gods. The God of the Bible doesn't exist. We're your gods. We're the ones who created you, and we're going to let you, lead you down to enlightenment. And their uh, their hostility towards Christianity is evident. Okay, but they don't attack Buddha. They don't attack Hinduism. They don't attack Islam. They don't attack Mormonism. They don't attack Jehovah Witnesses. They don't. They attack Bible believers, and that's the ha common. Common, commonality in all the alien abductions. And MIT did the study, so it's not a Christian organization. MIT did the study and, and polled hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of alien abductions of people and then matched it with satanic ritual, and the two are identical. And uh, obviously, when the person uh, wanted everything to stop, they would cry out to Jesus. And those, uh, at that point, the abduction stops. Everything stops at that point when the name of Jesus is called upon to help them. And so it ought to tell you, uh, if it walks like a duck, it quacks like a duck, and it looks like a duck, it's probably a duck. It's not an alien. It's a demonic or a fallen angel. And, you know, why, why, why do they have the smell of sulfur? On them, why? Why is that a hallmark of a fallen angel or a demon? Why would that be? Why would they smell like sulfur? Yeah, it's brimstone, right? That's brimstone. The smell of sulfur. Brimstone in the Bible is sulfur. You know, fire and brimstone. It's fire and sulfur. It's what it is. It's sulfur. And so brimstone is fire, uh, sulfur. You can light it. You can go to the Dead Sea right now and where Sodom and Gomorrah was, and you can actually light brimstone there, and it's sulfuric, and it will actually light today. 
in the area. It's probably close to Masada, the area close to Masada, just underneath the Masada area, right by the Dead Sea. It would be the southwest part of the Dead Sea is where they believe Sodom is. And you can see like pyramid structures. You can see um, uh, they have a structure there. It's an ash, and it looks like the Sphinx in, in Egypt. And then you can find balls of sulfur everywhere. And you can take a match or you can take a lighter and light that thing and it still lights. It's the highest concentration of brimstone in the, on the planet is right there by the Dead Sea. Because um, most of that, you find brimstone somewhere else, it won't light on fire. But the ones at the Dead Sea light on fire because there's so, such a concentration of it like we've never seen before. Anyway, um, the, the reason probably that they smell like sulfur is because they, 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 uh, some of them might have been confined into temporary confinement in um, the, the, the bottomless pit, and they have come out, but they smell like the pit. They smell like the lake of fire. They smell like brimstone. And, and so um, because that's where their destiny is, that's where their destiny lies, and probably many of them have been temporarily confined and then released. Go, so um, they smell like it. They smell like the place they're going to. They smell like the place they're from. Um, in, the, in the book of Revelation, the bottomless pit is opened, and it releases demons and fallen angels out of that pit, and that's the pit uh, where they go and uh, when they're temporarily confined. And, and that's between them and the Lord when they're confined and not. It's basically when they cross the line, they get confined. But anyway, they smell like it. Um, why do they always want to mess with genitalia? Why do, they, why do they want to mess with the reproductive parts of humans? Why is that always on the, the mind? They can't do it. They can't reproduce themselves. So they're always involved in trying to figure out the, uh, how to reproduce an army for themselves. And that's what they were doing in Genesis 6 is actually reproducing through humans um, genetic hybrids. And, and so there's always this thing that they start messing with the person's uh, reproductive parts. And I, I think it, it lends into support where all this whole thing about DNA is going and um, trying to tamper with human DNA, trying to mess with it. Because um, it now the, the issue is not to, um, it's not to um, prevent the Messiah from being born, because that, that's what Genesis 6 was about. Um, right now, it's to create non-humans, hybrids, um, that could be used in the tribulation, obviously, or, or to do their bidding um, as killers or whatever. Um, and that per it would render that person unsavable if they're not human. You've got to be human to be saved, don't you? So when Messiah said to Nicodemus, he's having a conversation with Nicodemus. Um, one of the things he says, Nicodemus, you must be born of water and of the Spirit in order to be saved, basically, to be born again. And uh, I think I've mentioned this before about being born of water. Um, a lot of people, Gentiles, don't know the Hebraic background to the term born of water. And so they misinterpret that and say, oh, that's baptism. And it's like, no, you totally missed that one. That's not about baptism. Being born of water is a Jewish idiom is that, is that you must be born of a woman and you must be human. 
and then you must be born again. So you have to be born human, and then you have to be born again. So you have to have two births, a physical birth uh, of being a human, and you have to be uh, spiritually born. Okay, well, why would Messiah point that out? Why would he say, first of all, you have to be human? He does. It's a prediction of the future. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense of why he would have to tell Nicodemus, well, you have to be human. It doesn't make sense. Uh, And it comes from the context of Genesis 6, where these, these hybrids were not fully human. They were strong men, part men, part animals, part angel, part animal. There were all kinds of things. If you look at Greek mythology, Roman mythology, Aztec mythology, Mayan mythology, uh, Egyptian mythology, Babylonian mythology, uh, uh, Chaldean mythology, all the pagan religions. You look at uh, Norsemen mythology, uh, Celtic mythology, they all had the same story of hybrids. And so Messiah puts that in there, and I don't think it's an accident because the way we're going right now, you're getting very close to where if they're tampering with DNA, what, 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 what prevents them from making some type of human thing that's not fully human but was grown in a Petri dish? Maybe cloning? I mean, you're getting into the realm of a hybrid. You're getting into the realm of, of what, what is this thing? And that's a very scary proposition. But it, it, it shows you, if you look at the evidence, you start stringing things out. Why is it, not only in satanic ritual abuse are they messing around with sex, but they mess around with sex with alien abductions because there's something about the reproduction they want to tamper with. And here we are now in our modern day, and we now know that DNA can be tampered with. They're already creating uh, vaccines that mess with your DNA. They're already, they're already planning to clone DNA. So what's stopping humans? Well, maybe in the future, in the tribulation, maybe there's, there's things that are created that are not fully human. I don't know. But something's up. Something's there. And they're evidencing that they're very in, they're, these demons and fallen angels are very interested in our reproductive abilities. So something's there. I can't be dogmatic on everything, but it's something worth you got to think about. The fact that they, 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 they ha, uh, they, their abode is in the air doesn't restrict them either, though. That means they can come to earth, okay? And they can come to earth, and Satan can come to earth, obviously. And this is why, like, when God says to Satan, where have you been in Job chapter 1, he says, I've been going to and fro. The word to and fro, or the phrase to and fro, is a Hebrew idiom. It means I'm searching. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for something to discover. In that case, they were looking for a challenge to God with Job that I can't find any righteous people. And if I do find a righteous person, I guarantee you he only serves you for the things you give him. And that became the challenge with Job. So Satan was searching for this out to challenge God. So Satan, what he does, uh, and fallen angels, is they leave their abode where they're at, and then they come to earth, uh, to go to and fro. They're looking for things. Satan does uh, 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 assign different areas of the world to fallen angels, to powers, principalities, and whatnot, and they're assigned over different parts of the world. And and this lends its support to possibly uh, various political leaders having high-ranking demons assigned to them as well to influence them 
for a certain thing. Where do we get the precedent for that? Well, all you have to do is look at the book of Revelation in Genesis, uh, sorry, uh, Revelation chapter 16. It talks about basically three demonic frogs being released to influence the kings of the world to come together for the battle of Armageddon. So we know in that sense they do. We know with the king of Tyre, we know with the king of Sodom that Satan was behind the influence of those kings. And so what we see from the Old Testament and we see from the New Testament is that Satan will use his fallen angels to influence these people in high positions towards certain things. And it's to get his will accomplished, to get his plan accomplished, to get his agenda accomplished. So rest assured, there's demonic activity all over the White House, all over Australia, all over New Zealand, all over Justin Trudeau, all over Europe. It, they're being influenced by high-ranking demonic powers or fallen angels. That's why they're doing such evil. And then if you boil it down, anyone in leadership is a target. Okay? So, I mean, bring it down to the local level. The mayor, the city council, the school boards, all kinds of leaders, they go after those things that they can influence. They don't really care, uh, per se, about the, uh, uh, you know, some guy that's not doing anything. They're wanting to influence leaders to get the program and the agenda to go the way Satan wants it to go. I'm not saying they don't mess with everybody. They do. But where they're putting their emphasis now is on leadership, leadership. And so that's why, you know, one of the things that the Bible says pray for your leaders because of the heavy demonic influence or fallen angel influence that comes upon them. And it's real deal stuff, no doubt about it. And 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 so you have that aspect um, with territories. Now, the thing about territories, I'll explain this because... Yes, their abode, they can leave their abode and come here, and then they govern certain territories over the planet for Satan. And so that's why um, certain areas of the, of the world, certain areas here in California, will have higher, higher levels of evil activity. Um, the Pacific Northwest is a very high level of demonic activity. The eastern coast, from Virginia on up to Maine, is high levels of demonic activity. In, in, at least in America, right? But there's different parts of the world you can go into. Like if you go into, um, where the, oh, where's those monks uh, in Nepal? Uh, Tibetan Buddhists in that? Highly demonic. I mean, highly, highly, highly demonic. And areas of China, areas of, of Russia, the Middle East, all these other places have high levels of demonic activity. And, uh, I mean, I've been in the mission field, and I've went to certain places in Africa, and um, I remember walking into one village in Africa, and it was, it was highly, highly uh, Islamic, okay? And actually, it was the village where the first Christian martyr was beheaded in Uganda. And we walked through that village, and the first thing I felt is a darkness and an oppression, and something's wrong here. Very, very bad, very dark in that little village in Africa. I went to another thing where I was in Jamaica, and um, we went to one area in Jamaica. It was a town. They were smoking pot, like left and right. Um, but I went in there, and I felt there's something not right here. I feel a darkness. I feel chains. I feel an oppression. And obviously, it was demonic activity. 
So there's different places in the world that are like that. And, um, and if, if you're sensitive to that, you will feel it. You will feel that something's not right here. I feel there's something evil here. There's not, it's not, it's not, something's not right. And you'll have this gut instinct on you, or in you, I should say, and you need to, you need to follow that. You need to get out of that place. It's not good. And, uh, but they, 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 they form these territories and then they have influence there. The other thing then is, is, um, the ability then to come and mess with the individual person. Um, so they leave their abodes to mess with the individual person. Now, the way they start messing with individual people is the person or the family invites it. And so when you see demonic uh, possession, typically the, the demon or fallen angel has, um, has basically legal rights to the person because the person has opened themselves up to it. And um, if you ask, not that I'm advising you to do this, but if you ask uh, sometimes, how did you get in there? The, they'll say, he, he or she invited me. Well, how do they invite him? Well, it's, it's a number of different ways, man. You can invite um, that through tarot cards, uh, Ouija boards, you can any, any demonic paraphernalia, um, certain things that people do with themselves, putting themselves in an altered state of consciousness, uh, whether it's, you know, Hindu practicing, uh, that's been Christianized and like Christian yoga or Christian meditation, centering prayer, prayer circles, labyrinths, all those kinds of activities come from Eastern mysticism and open the person up, even Christians as well. Not to possession, but, but oppression. And so the person can get into addictive sins that open themselves up. Drugs will get you there pretty quick. It's easy to get from the drug world to that. Uh, high levels of alcoholism can get you there, opening the door. Um, seances, messing with psychics and mediums. Um, I mean, just runs the gamut as far as the occult. You can even start having problems in your house if you bring foreign objects in that are idols and you don't even realize it. So, you know, I, I've dealt with people that all of a sudden started having demonic activity in their home and they didn't know why. And I said, well, let's, let's go through this. First of all, have you come in contact with anyone that's messing with the occult? And that's, that's another thing. If someone's messing with the occult, you need to get away from them and don't buy, invite them to your house because they'll bring the junk in with you. And they'll be in your house to mess, to mess with you. The second thing is, have you been doing any activity that would cause this? And what, you know, sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. Sometimes it's a, a teenager messing with the occult and the parents don't know. And that's invited it in. And then the third thing is an object, an occult object that's brought in by somebody. It's a gift from somebody. They went to India. They brought you back a, a, you know, a statue from India. But lo and behold, that statue is an idol or something like that. Or someone, you know, brings in uh, even Native American uh, things. You know, they think it's nice. Oh, this is a, a necklace from a Native American thing. And, you know, it's from, you know, Chief Dirty Nose or whatever it might be. And, and you bring it in and you don't realize that's a talisman. And you have a talisman in your house and that attracts demons. So those, those occult objects is, are actually open invitations to the demonic realm. 
and and you can see this. If you go in certain Chinese food restaurants or or um, Thai food restaurants, pay attention to what's on the wall, because I've noticed in some of the Chinese restaurants and some of the Thai restaurants. They'll have their little ancestor worship up there or God worship or whatever they're worshiping. You'll see an orange or an apple or money up there. That's an offering to a false god. That's demonic. That's highly, highly demonic. Be careful about being in those places. Um, and so it's either a person that they're messing with, someone in the house has opened the door, or there's an object in the place. And until you get rid of the object... It's still with you. And so people will say, well, what do I do with it? I said, you need to burn it. You need to burn it and you need to get rid of it. And you need to renounce it. And so, um, uh, you know, where do I get the, the, the idea of burning it? Well, the Apostle Paul uh, told the guys that were messing with the, the, the magic books and sorcery books and stuff like that, he said, you need to burn it. That's how you get rid of it. You have to burn it. So go outside and put lighter fluid on and burn whatever it is. It could be a book, it could be whatever, something involved in the occult, a statue, something, burn it. Just get rid of it and burn it. Uh, don't put it in a place where someone else can find it, because that idol will attract demons. Demons are attracted to idols, and people who have idols brings them in the house. Um, but that's how they get called down from their abode. And the other way they get called down is magical incantations. I mean, witches do this, occultists do this, they do sorcery, and sorcery is meant to call them down from the abode and do an act for them. And that, that becomes another thing that they, they do coming from that abode. Uh, okay, before we go on, any questions about that aspect of the prince of the power of the air? Okay, let's go to the next one. The God of this age. And so in this title, um, this Second Corinthians 4, 4, it emphasizes the system of philosophy, which is contrary to God, obviously. It's, it's, it's lawlessness, right? It's called the spirit of the age um, and, and this cosmos. So Satan propagates a philosophy in the cosmos, which is the characteristic of the age. In German, this is called the Zeitgeist. Okay. We have been delivered from, uh, I, I misspelled present, but this present evil age, according to Galatians 1.4. So that's the idea that we have come out of this philosophy, the spirit of the age, and this cosmos. We've come out of that. That's how we've overcome the world in that sense. We have been brought out of it. The problem is that we can get back into it. And the way we get into it is becoming worldly, and worldliness creates enmity between you and God because now you're part of the satanic system that's actually working against God's program. But in this sense, why are we, why is it, are we electrical problems? Satan, it's Satan, right? Exactly. Anyway, um, this whole thing comes down to what philosophy is in the person. Okay? So a worldly philosophy will direct a person towards satanic goals. The person doesn't know it, but they're being influenced by the world system and the satanic world. So, for instance, you know, these, these crazy professors and these crazy teachers that are promoting critical race theory, they're promoting, uh, you know, all kinds of weird stuff, LGBT mafia type stuff, 
all that stuff. Uh, what? Yeah, pedophilia, uh, you know, transgender, you know, the whole thing. Communism, socialism. Okay, that's the satanic system, okay? So these people who are pushing this don't even know that they're pushing satanic things. They think these are good things, right? Because they're so brainwashed by Satan and so blinded that something that's evil, they think it's good. Okay, this is where we get the term evil. Uh, people think that uh, good is evil and evil is good. Uh, Isaiah 50, uh, Isaiah 5. That happens to a person when they are under the spirit of the age, the zeitgeist, the 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 thinking of the day. So now, if you think about the thinking of the day from the world, it's off the rails, man. And if you're not part of that thinking, then you're ostracized, right? So um, I, I saw UCLA professor. Um, uh, get kicked out or, 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 or had to take a leave of absence from UCLA because one of his students um, emailed him and said, hey, um, are you going to give more lenient grades to people of color? And he's like, well, you know, he's playing devil advocate. He's like, no, but how am I supposed to do that? What happens if a person has a mixed nationalities? What am I supposed to do? Grade on the percentage according to Ancestry.com? I'm going to get, well, you're, you know, I'm going to be 20% lenient because you have 20% of this in you and you have 30% of that in you. And so, what do you want me to do? And he's like, no, you're crazy. I'm not doing that. It's meritocracy. And so he got dismissed by UCLA uh, and lost his job because of the spirit of the age. Spirit of the age is you should be lenient if you have different um, uh, melato- uh, mel- melanin in your skin. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's a satanic system, right? Um, and so anyway, this philosophy now is being pushed in all sectors of society. So when Satan controls the world, that's why the world hates you. Because you're going against the system. As you're swimming upstream. And so naturally, you become public enemy number one. So you, it shouldn't be shocked that the world hates you. Messiah warns you. Look. They hated me. The world system hated me, and they're going to hate you. And they hated Jesus without cause, didn't they? They'll hate you without cause because you oppose the system. Okay. So the fact that you oppose the system, let me t- let me show you how it plays out in your real in your life. <coughs> it plays out in the fact that your life is going to be harder because if you win with the system, your life will get easier. That's why so many Christians compromise and become worldly because it makes life easier. Just go with the system. And the system will reward its own. The system will reward those who play by its rules. So if you play by those rules, you get rewarded. And that's why it traps people because they get what's called worldly advantage by playing by the system's rules. Look what you're getting ready to face by not playing by their rules. You're, you're looking at losing your job if you don't play by the rules, right? If you don't get vaccinated, you're going to lose your job. See, you're not playing by the rules. So if you want a worldly advantage, then compromise and go with the system, and then you will benefit from the system. That's what causes so many Christians to get worldly, is they're willing to compromise to get the benefits from the system. You've done a deal with the devil. You're bargaining with the devil at that point in time. 
And what are you losing at the same time that you bargain to get a worldly advantage? What do you lose? You'll lose God's blessing. You'll lose God's will. You'll lose any temporal blessing and you will lose rewards by putting yourself and enmity with God. And this is what, how people, um, uh, justify it. Well, I'm doing this for my family. I'm doing this for my kids. I'm doing this for their betterment. Wouldn't God say that's a good thing? Oh, so let me get this straight. The system is allowing you to cheat so you could get some worldly advantage for your family, and at the same time, you're not putting Jesus as a priority because Jesus would never say the ends justify the means. That, is that what I'm hearing? Because what you're doing is going to hurt your family spiritually, and you're putting Jesus last. That's a big problem. Now, they would say, no, 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 you don't understand. Uh, I, we still love Jesus. No, you don't. You love the world. And you can't have two masters. Right? You can't love the world and love Jesus at the same time. You're a liar. First John says that you're a liar if you love this world. And, well, they say, I don't love the world. No, but your actions show me that you do love this world. Because your actions show me that you're willing to compromise your Christianity to get some type of worldly advantage. That's how I know you love the world. It's through your behavior. So, so it becomes very evident how seductive the God of this age is towards people. And then he mentions that the God of this age will blind you. Okay? Well, how does he, Satan blind you? Well, he doesn't have the ability to come to you and just blind you willy-nilly. That doesn't happen. You invite blindness. People invite blindness. How do they invite blindness? Because they're willing to believe a false narrative because it fits their narrative. And when you want the world to look as you want it, then Satan will make his system appeal to that desire. Because if you try that with God, it ain't going to work. You try to put you what you think about how the world should look with God, and God's going to smack you with his reality and say, you can't have that. That's wrong. You're living a lie. Here's the truth. But Satan will say, oh, you want to believe that fairies exist? You want to believe that, that uh, you know, make a wish and you can, all your dreams will come true? Then come over to my system. And my system will afford you that. My system will allow you to believe anything you want to believe. We'll make you feel good. I'll make you feel good. Even though it's not based on anything true, I'll still make you feel good. Is that what you want? Yeah, okay, well, that's the deal then. We'll bargain for you, me to make you feel good, and then you sell your soul to me. That's how it's done. And so people make the bargain. And I'm not saying like it's a Faustian bargain. Like I'm not saying that. Um, what I'm saying is they make the compromise saying, that's the world I want. I want it to be as I, as I want. And so that right there allows Satan to start blinding them. And what does he blind them to? The truth. Oh, okay, I'll entertain your fantasy, but at the same time I entertain your fantasy, I will blind you at the same time. And so when the person gives up, their, their, their desire for reality, okay? When they give up the desire for reality and they have a desire of idealism, 
of what they think it should be or how they think justice should happen or what they want from the world and it's not fair, yada, yada, yada. He says, come along, and then he blinds them. That's the bargain. They get blinded by coming along. Now, in their blindness, it's like being in the Matrix. Uh, the movie The Matrix portrayed this very eloquently. I, I don't know how they came up with it, but it was very good. Because when you're in the Matrix, you don't even know you're part of the Matrix. You don't even know that you're blinded to reality. You're in this computer simulation, so to speak, and you think everything's hunky-dory in your world. And you think nothing's going to happen. Oh, the government's nice. People, people wouldn't try to hurt me. Oh, yeah, you know, what they say is wrong. You know, the, the vaccine's for, is good for you. And we just need to all get along and come together as one, right? You'll actually believe that, even though there's no evidence behind it, because it makes you feel good. But it's not based in reality. And so the person enters into that world and is blind. So now here you come trying to give information to that person that's in this spirit of the age, the zeitgeist, and they can't make the leap to your facts. They can't make the jump to your evidence because if they do, they would have to give up the fantasy world in which they have created and which Satan has created for them. They won't give up the fantasy because at that point, you're showing them the cold, hard truth. Their whole world crumbles down. Everything they're doing, everything they're living for stops, and they are not willing to give that up. That's too much for them. And so just like the rich young ruler who wouldn't give up his wealth in order to be a disciple of the Messiah, they're not willing to give up the fantasy world that they have to get into reality and follow the Messiah in truth and love. They're not going to do it. And so this is what happens with Satan pro uh, propagating the philosophy of the age. It actually makes people feel good. It's a fake, a fake security, a fake peace, fake. It's all counterfeit. It's all counterfeit. Anyway, let's go to the next title. The evil one. Obviously, it, it emphasizes his corrupt nature. Um, and, and that he is corrupted. He's the source of evil. And it started with him, and obviously that evil was brought to humans, and now human beings have the sin nature and have a corrupt nature, but believers now have a new nature. Uh, but the evil one just shows you that everything that's going on in the world that's evil comes from him. And, you know, I, I, I like what Dennis Prager says about leftism. He says everything a leftist touches, they destroy, right? Well, you can take that one step further and say everything evil touches, they destroy. They can't do anything right. They always make bad decisions, evil decisions, wrong decisions, selfish decisions, self-absorbed decisions. And because they're evil, they always destroy everything. That's what they do. <coughs> Anointed cherub. Satan is a cherub. Okay? He was the highest cherub. He was the highest of all the angels. We talked about that. And he had a unique position of the covering cherub. And I mispronounced that. I don't know why I wasn't uh, typing that out right. But anyway, he's the covering cherub. It should be covering cherub who served as a canopy over God's throne. We talked about that. Now, the fact that he's a cherub means he's very beautiful. It means that he's very powerful. He is the most powerful angel. And... Um, 
he was the canopy over God's throne that protected God's throne. I don't want to get into too, too much in that because I dealt with that a long time ago. So we'll just keep going. He's the prince of demons. The title means he has authority over fallen angels and demons. So let's, let's, let's make sure we understand the distinction. He took a third of the fallen angels with him, or angels, and they became fallen when he rebelled. Okay, So that's fallen angels. But demons are another class of spiritual entities. Demons, in my opinion, and what I can understand from Scripture, are distinct from fallen angels. Demons come from Nephilim. And when the Nephilim died in the flood, their souls turned into what we call demons. They're demons. They're spirit creatures that are that are uh, fallen Nephilim. Well, I'm sorry, Nephilim are fallen, but they're they're they come from Nephilim. Um, he's the prince over both sets of creatures, fallen angels and demons. Now, it's the fallen angels that created the Nephilim, right? In Genesis six. It is the fallen angels that created the hybrid situation. Well, because they're not, because they're not humans, right? What are they? Well, when they died in the flood, most of them died in the flood, they, their spirits became what we know as demons. Their, their spirit is a demon spirit. This happened obviously after, uh, the flood in the land of Canaan, uh, before Israel tried to go in there. There were giants in the land, Nephilim, Anakim, Rephaim, giant clans. And these giant clans, when they were killed, like Goliath, if, when Goliath was killed, his spirit part, because his spirit part is a fallen angel, became a demon. It's not a human. It's a demon, which is a hybrid of a fallen angel. They have a, they have a fallen angel nature, if that makes sense. And hence, they're demons. Now, demons are a little bit different than fallen angels in the sense that um, they seem to be uh, on the earth, afraid of water, um, and demons want to possess. Fallen angels don't necessarily need possession. Um, it, it appears that they're quite content not possessing anything. Uh, they they want to spend their time influencing. But demons, on the other hand, want to possess. Because why? These spirits were once in a body, a Nephilim body, but yet they they, they, they want to be in possession of things. Now, remember the situation with um, the Gadarene that Jesus had when he went to the Dicopolis. He, he dealt with legion, right? Which meant there was a legion of demons in this one individual. Okay. But what did the demons ask to do? Put me in another body. They would take even animal bodies, the pigs, and he sent them into the pigs. Notice, they wanted to transfer from him to another body, even if it was an animal. And so it would transfer into an animal. Can animals be possessed? Of course they can. Satan possessed the, the nakash in the garden, didn't he? Right. Yeah, they can possess animals. And they can, and demons can possess people if they're allowed to. Okay? And, and so he has authority over both sets. Um, so demons possess, demons are afraid of water, uh, and they typically tend to be in the wildernesses, the deserts of the world, the inhabitable places of the world, a haunt for demons, as Babylon is called, after it's destroyed. 
Why do they like the desert, desolate places, and why do they fear water? Or don't like water, let's put it that way. It has something to do with the flood, doesn't it? The judgment on the Nephilim was the flood. And the flood water represents judgment. Water represents judgment. And they highly do not like water. So what did Messiah do once he sent them into the pigs? He sent the pigs over the cliff, and you can see that same cliff if you go to the eastern side of the Dead not sorry, uh, Sea of Galilee, and you can see the very cliff that they ran right off into the water. So he lets them get into the pigs, but then he sends the pigs over the cliff into water. Then in the same time, he made a, an analogy with Israel being possessed, and he says that um, when the strong man comes, the strong man's bound, and, and the strong man can get out of the person, then that spirit goes and wanders into the wilderness, seeking remote places, or waterless places, basically. And then it comes back, and, and if the person's house is swept clean and hasn't done the business of filling that, that, that person with the Holy Spirit, then it comes back with seven more demons. But if you notice, what he says is that they, they go searching into the wilderness uh, from remote places, waterless places is the idea. So what you'll start realizing is there's high demonic activity in desert types of climates. Not fallen angel activity, demonic activity. Where was Jesus tested? Wilderness. Where was Israel tested? wilderness. Paul went into the wilderness of Arabia for two years before he went on his journeys, before he started his ministry. There's something about the wilderness that causes the person to be tested. But in that area is high, high levels of demonic activity. And obviously the highest level of demonic activity that Jesus encountered was Satan dealing with him Right? Trying to tempt them in the desert. And, and Israel's problems in the desert too, right? And so, what you start seeing is there's, there's, uh, even in Babylon, that Babylon's talked about being a haunt for jackals, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for all these unclean animals. Those are not real animals. It's referring to demons. It's referring to them being in these locations and having a high level of activity. Now, can a demon be in someone's house? Of course they can. I'm not saying they can't, you know, be in, in a lush environment. They are. I mean, if you go to even some of the most tropical places on the planet, you'll find demonic activity. Um, but what we see in Scripture is there's an attraction to them to the desert wilderness climate. It's, it's to avoid water um, because of the flood. Angels, fallen angels, don't care about water. In fact, they'll go in and out of water. As you saw in some of the uh, aerial footage of Navy pilots, the, the fallen angels they were following went into water, didn't they? They went in the water. They went in the ocean, came back out. They had no problem with water. So you can see why fallen angels don't have a problem. You can see why demons have a problem with that. Um, there's basically no salvation for these creatures um, but they, they see Satan as their leader, and that's who they follow. Okay, any questions on that? Any comments, concerns, anything like that? It's probably more than what you wanted to know. Okay.
Let's go on here. The king of Tyre. This is another term for Satan when he was actually controlling the earthly kingdom. So the, when he says king of Tyre, king of Babylon, I think the next one, all this refers to the same thing, that Satan is in control of the leaders of these kingdoms. So it's not, it's, it's not an easy, you know, not a, a far cry to say, you know, who's controlling uh, Winnie the Pooh, who's controlling Putin, who's controlling the people controlling Biden, who's controlling Obama, who's controlling Justin Trudeau. All these people are being controlled by Satan because this is what he does. He emphasizes that he's in control of world of earthly kingdoms. So, yes, it's referring to the king of Tyre, but it's also pinning the tail on the donkey that who is the power behind the king of Tyre? Who is the king of Babylon, but, but really who's controlling the king of Babylon? And that's the emphasis in these passages in Ezekiel and Isaiah that refer to it's Satan that's behind it. You so see human humans can't come up with certain the thing certain things that they that's not humanly conceivable. But when you see ultimate evil, ultimate like grotesque evil, like pedophilia, murdering babies, things like that, that's on the satanic level. And the fact that they would push these narratives and push these things it shows you that who's influencing uh, the power behind it. So when you run into people on a personal level that um, have a very twisted view of morality, understand what's behind them. It's a demon, a fallen angel, influencing them to think in those evil terms. Um, and that's why you just kind of sometimes have to shake your head and you're like, man, that's an evil, I'm not even, that's not even humanly possible. Like, you know, when you hear people call out, like, hey, we need to shoot all Republicans or something like that. When you hear stuff like that, you understand that's the Satan, Satan, Satan's power behind them and influence of, of saying things like that. Hey, let's just kill them. Or, or, or when they say that, you know, hey, it's the Christians, um, you know, who are the problem here? And, and, and it's because of, of Christian nationalism. We need just to get rid of them. When you hear things like that, we just need to get rid of them. That's satanic. We don't get rid of human beings, but they're thinking like that. It's Satan. Look at some descriptions of Satan. He's the accuser of the brethren. So when a believer falls into a state of unconfessed sin, Satan will accuse the person before God's throne of that sin. So that's why it's extremely important if you're a believer not to be in an extended period of time in sin. Because what you do is that you afford Satan the ability to go before the throne of God and accuse you before him. Now, why would Satan do that? What does Satan want out of that? He did it to Job. He did it to uh, the high priest of Israel. And he does it in Revelation 12 to every believer. Okay, they don't truly love God. What else you guys heard? The what? The legality of it, and what would be the legality of a believer? What, 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 what is he asking God to do to that believer? Judge him. Judge him. Do something to him. He's violating your laws. You need to do something about this guy or this gal. And, and he's saying, I'm, I'm quoting the law. 
You said this is wrong, and this believer is doing it. What are you going to do about it? Now, there's several options at this point. If the believer, because a lot of it's dependent on the believer's attitude, right? We're not talking about unbelievers. We're talking about believers. So if the believer is in unconfessed sin and unrepentant sin, then, then hopefully the person will repent and get back on track, hopefully. If not, then it's up to that local church to get that believer back on track, okay? So first of all, the, the local church has to find out. Sometimes you don't know what's going on, but then you find out, and then Matthew 18 must be followed. It must be followed at the personal level. You go privately to the individual. If the individual doesn't repent at that point in time, you go with a, a, a witness. And then if the witness doesn't work and you still won't repent, then you take it to the authority of the church. You don't jump to the authority of the church first. You go at the private level, and it stays between you and that person. Then you bring in a, a witness. Then you take it to the church. Okay. If you go through the process of Matthew 18, and it's getting it's taken all the way to the church, and the church says, you either repent or we're going to excommunicate you, then that's the deciding factor at that point, okay? At that point, if the person's unwilling to repent, the church is then to excommunicate the person out. You kick the person out because of their activities, because they won't repent, because they won't acknowledge what they're doing, and then they come out of the church and they're now in the territory of Satan because now they do not possess the covering protection of the authority of the local church. That's a big deal in the spiritual realm, okay? You want to operate always under the authority, okay? Authority is a big deal in the spiritual world. You want to operate in your family with authority, and you want to operate in the church with authority. The minute you get out from under the umbrella of the local church, and you've been kicked out because you won't repent, you are now vulnerable. You are completely vulnerable to Satan. And when you see in 1 Corinthians 5, the immoral brother was kicked out because he wouldn't repent, he lost his protection, and that protection meant that Satan couldn't hurt his body. See, according to Hebrews chapter 2, the, the power of death has been removed from Satan over believers as long as they stay under authority. If they stay under authority of the local church, Satan can't do anything to their bodies. He can't kill them, okay? He can kill an unbeliever. So once the person moves out from that authority, according to the Apostle Paul, then he says, let Satan have his way with him, that he might destroy, what, his body, so that he might save his soul. And we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about discipline that allows Satan to have his way with the person and possibly even kill the person. It's a very dangerous place to be when you've been kicked out of the authority of the church. You're vulnerable to Satan, and he can take his way with you. And he will kill you any way he wants to. That's one of the ways God will discipline a believer. He will say, find them. He'll watch. The person's not accusing, accusing, accusing. He's not repenting. He went to Matthew 18. The church has now kicked him out. And he will tell Satan, you have permission then to do, deal with him. Whoa. Whoa. 
and people get thrashed. People get 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 thrashed like they've no, no tomorrow. I've had people that were put out and they got thrashed and they were scared to death. They almost went mentally ill, and then they repented and everything came back to them once they repented. And they they experienced a lot of, a lot of bad stuff from the hand of Satan. Now. If someone's maybe out there and not experiencing any chastening, maybe they're not real, right? Maybe they're not real. According to Hebrews chapter 12, God disciplines his own. He disciplines his own children, and he will do that. Um, and one of the ways is allow Satan to beat the person up physically and even kill them. What is the idea of saving a soul? Well, the idea might be, it's not a salvation sense of saving the soul. It's the idea that if the person gets tired of Satan taking a full-blown attack on them, and again, Satan's limited by God of how far he can go with the person, right? Um, if Satan knocks them down a couple notches and the person then stops and repents, then he can come back. And the, the satanic attack will stop and he can come back in fellowship under the authority of the church and be protected once again. And that can happen. The saving the soul means that the the the, the uh, person can be put back into fellowship again, okay, and not die is the idea. So you can save the person's life if the person will repent from the beatings that Satan gives them, and they can come back and be reestablished in fellowship again. So it's not saving in the salvation sense; it's saving the person's physical life from death. Because that's that's the problem is you can go too far and say and, and then you can die. The other aspect of this is if God decides not to use Satan and let's say the, the church doesn't even know about the person's sin, there is no Matthew 18 involved, but God knows it. Then God will take His disciplining hand on that individual and start pounding them physically, and that's why in James. Uh, chapter 1 and chapter 5 both relate that if the person uh, repents, he will save his own life. Not salvation, save his physical life from being taken by the Lord, because the Lord will take the person's physical life. Just like he did Ananias and Sapphira, he took the, uh, the lives of the Corinthian believers who took the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, so God will just take the life. But he'll give them the chance, he'll beat them up, and then boom, if, if the person's not coming, he'll just take them home. The person will die. And, and I know that's, that, that's, that, that's not how, you know, the typical churches talk about this, but if you read your Bible, that's exactly what it says will happen. 1 Corinthians 5 points this all out of how God will deal with the people. So it's a serious deal. Now, one of the things you do to not be accused and not to be disciplined and put out there by Satan is you confess. You repent. 98% of the passages that deal with repentance have to deal with believers repenting and getting back in, in shape, getting back in fellowship. And so, to avoid this, you need to keep close accounts with the Lord. Do not let sin go unconfessed. And I'm telling you what, because we're talking about legality based This is all, look at the term accuser. Why is the term accuser used for Satan? It's a legal 
court setting. Right? It's a legal court setting. And then the term advocate is used for the Messiah in this setting. Why is the term advocate used in the setting when you have an accuser and then you have an advocate? The advocate is another term for lawyer. Right? Messiah is your lawyer from the prosecutor or the accuser, which is saying. So the whole thing is pictured in a court scene. So it's a very legal issue, very legal issue. So if the person goes unconfessed legally, unrepentant legally, then Satan says, I have fair game at him. He has opened himself up and I will do whatever the Lord allows me to do to him. Just like what he did with Job, right? Even though Job wasn't being disciplined. And the Lord will say, well, you can do this. You can affect his body. You can hurt him in this way. You can hurt him in that way. And so the Lord will allow Satan to go as far as he needs to. And so it's a whole legal thing. So that's why when you see in possession, you know, you'll find out in talking with them, how did you get the right to enter into that body? They'll say, that person allowed me. So it's all based on legal things. It's a whole legal dynamic in the spiritual realm. They allowed me in, so I have legal right to them. That's what you'll hear demons say. And they're right. They have legal right to the individual because the individual has opened themselves up for it. And it's a scary deal, but they operate on legalities. The weird thing about this, man, in the spiritual realm, they all know authority and they all know legalities in the spiritual realm. They play by those rules. For some reason, humans don't want to do that. They don't want to think of that in those terms. But it is a legal thing. Okay, so let me ask you this. In your confession to the Lord, um, what if you confess, but you go right back and do it again? Could you stop confessing until you get a, a grip on it? Or what do you do? You keep confessing. Keep confessing. Because the blood of Christ will constantly wash you as long as you're confessing. Now we're talking about relationship and fellowship. Yeah, Paul. You may need to confess to your brothers and sisters. Yeah, you need help. Right. You need to confess to someone else. That's right. And God. Yeah, and that's the basis of it, because if you keep falling in an area, it means that you need help from the outside. So Paul is making a perfect point. You need to get, get some help and confess that to someone that can actually help you. Um, we're not talking about confession to peers, because peers can't help you. You have to go to a navigator, okay? Someone that can actually help you navigate through that sin, okay? So that's 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 a good point that Paul's making. Um, but... It's not like you say, you know what, I can't get a grip on this, man, and I, what's the point of asking God for forgiveness, and I'm just going to do it again. No, no, you better. You need to now. Don't wait, because if the longer you go without unconfessed sin and unrepentance, or at least trying to repent, you open yourself up to the accuser of the brethren. So you make a mistake, confess it, and you move on, and you keep fighting. And you keep doing it. How many times should I forgive my brother, Jesus, uh, Peter asked. 70 times 7, 490 times? So what if I reach 490? Start over again. That's right. 
It's a, it's a Hebraic euphemism for how long he gave Israel to, re, to get ready, uh, to be prepared um, for the sin they committed and the penalty they gave. So 490 is a time period for Israel. This is 490 years in, in Daniel. But um, the idea is it, there's no limit. It's the idea there's no limit. You keep doing it. If you mess up, confess it, confess it, confess it. Because legally... It gets Satan to back off because the advocate comes once you confess and does what? What does the advocate do? According to 1 John 1, 9, 1, 10, the he intercedes and, he, and once you make the confession, you reestablish fellowship and the blood of Christ continually cleanses you. If you do not confess and don't repent, then that cleansing aspect of fellowship forgiveness stops. It doesn't mean you're not saved. It means you're out of fellowship, and that's when you're vulnerable. So you have to make sure you stay in fellowship with the Lord because the blood of Christ will constantly cleanse you. So what does the advocate say to the accuser? If you've confessed and repent, he's saying, my blood's covering him. My blood covers him. You have no accusation. But if the person won't confess, then the accuser has an argument. Because fellowship has stopped, the cleansing has stopped, and the sanctification has stopped. And so now, what is God to do at this point with you? It's, it's to either wake you up or get Satan to wake you up. Right? He's not going to allow that. Yeah, go ahead, Richard. So that's why the devil always comes back and tells you, ah, Jesus is not going to forgive you for that. That's right. And he, he just throws it in your mind as, as he, if he can just sway you, just to even make you think of it, oh, I, I'm not going to be forgiven. That's it. That's it. He's got that's you. That's it. You, this, is, this is too much now. You've done too much. Now, hey, you keep pushing your luck with God. How many times have you committed this sin? What is it, like a 1,050? You know, he'll bring that up to you. And you're like, man, I've been doing this all my life. I don't seem to have victory. And he says, yeah, that's right. Give up on it, dude. Stop it. God's tired of listening to you. He doesn't want to hear you. He's heard your story before. You're nothing but a liar. So why don't you just stop? You're deadly at that point in time. You're in, you're in deep danger at that point in time. You go back to confessing. Go back to confessing. Be very, very careful about this because this is how people get jammed up. Yeah, Paul. I was just going to say, praise the Lord. God's grace is greater. Yes. And his grace is forever. It if is. If you ask and you confess. Yep. He never gets tired of ask, you asking for forgiveness. You never will exhaust God's patience with you because you're a believer. He wants to forgive. He wants you to get back in fellowship. So... Don't run away from God. Run towards him. Because if you run away from God, you're running into the hands of Satan. And he's waiting for you to destroy you. Bill. Can people okay, abuse? Just think of stuff. We've all seen the stuff that the mafia did, the MS-13, walking around with crosses around their neck. Oh, I'm forgiving my God. <laughs> yeah. And they're going around killing people right and left. Oh, I'm covered. Is there a point where it's, it's a false confession? Yeah, that, absolutely. And that's, that's, that's a counterfeit, right? I mean, that's that not was, true. That to me was Catholicism. Yeah, right. That's the, that's the fake. That's the fake. That the person's really not a believer. Because if they, a believer, you know, obviously has a different attitude. An MS-13 gang that wears a cross, obviously. They, they're killing because they want to kill. 
there is people. Same thing with me. You know, say I was Catholic. I mean, so you make your confession on Saturday, go to church on Sunday, get the Eucharist, and then come Monday, it's tater chip, let her rip. I'll do anything I want to do, man. I know the game. I played it well. I can act like a devil through the week and be a saint on Sunday. So that's how it works in Catholicism, right? But I was lost. I was fake. It wasn't real, man. This was a joke. It was a game I was playing with God. And so obviously there are people that play games with God. But you have to you have to question their authenticity. Are they really a believer? And if they are, then, man, they're really messed up to think like that, right? They're, they have distorted thinking. And I can, I can tell you where that ends. It, tell, it, it ends with them being pounded. At some point in time, they're going to lose their life. God's just going to take them home and say, like, I'm not having, having, uh, having one of my children act like this. You're gone. I'll just come home. You're going to come home. Pick up your toys. Let's go. We're done playing. You can't play fair with others, so we're done. So, um, lines with what you were saying about uh, came to mind right now is Romans eight one, mm. and that's that's the whole issue right there. Yeah, it sure is. Bottom line. Yeah, absolutely. So you know the, the thing about it then is if you. If you have the right attitude that, look, I'm trying to serve God the best I can, you're going to fall. There's no, we all do. We all make mistakes in sin. But the, the thing is, you have to go back to God. You have to see him as a father who says, come back to me. Let's fix this. Let's fix this. Because he wants to. You don't exhaust God. So a lot of believers, they get irritated with themselves. They, get, they, get, they beat themselves up for falling. And that, that makes them ashamed to go before, in front of God. And you have no... You don't have to be ashamed in front of God. Um, and, and so if you're dealing with shame, then that's what the devil is using to keep you from God. And that's not coming from God. You can be honest with him. Hey, man, I, I, I you know, messed up. Uh, and then you, you confess it. And, hey, if you're dealing with a besetting sin, like a habitual sin, don't you think he knows you're going to make a mistake in the future too? Don't you know, you know, when trying to get out of habitual sin, you know how it is. You're good for a while, and boom, you're back in it. Then you take two steps backwards, and you step forward, and you keep going, then boom, and take two steps backwards. And it's a process. And people have the mindset, oh, I should just repent of my sin, and I'm done with it. That's not how it works. It's a process, and you have to be okay with that process, that you are going to make mistakes. You're going to, re you're going to relapse. It's part of your old nature. And then the idea is that as the more I grow, the more I grow, I sin less in that area. Okay? You're not going to reach perfection, but you sin less. Will you always be triggered? Yes, you will always be triggered in that area. It will always probably be a weakness of yours. But the, oh, the whole goal is, I know what my weaknesses are, I know what triggers me, and I know how to speak truth when that happens to me. I know what to say to myself when I'm triggered. And I don't go into my default mode and, you know, run from God, run from people, run from church, run from anything the Bible, anything spiritual, I run from. That's the wrong move. It's, in, it's the opposite. I screw up, I run to God. I screw up, I run to my mentors. I screw up and I run to church. I run to my Bible and I run to prayer. 
But he's, Satan's going to make a warped mind thinking, no, you can't go to him. You ought to be embarrassed of what you just did. What, what kind of person does things like that? What, what, do you, what do you, you know, you can't show your face on Sunday. None of them over there in, in the church have ever done what you have done. Right? And he'll make you think that you're the worst of the worst, right? And you'll, you'll, and so what, what Satan does is shame you, right? He'll shame you. And God never does shame. He never does that because your shame was taken on the cross, right? Christ bore the shame. That way you can go boldly before the throne and ask for help. I need help. And he promises, if you come in the name of the Messiah, I will help you um, in that endeavor with grace and mercy. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Anchor Bible Study Podcast. We hope that this lesson is a blessing to you and helps grow you towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has another podcast called Anchor Sunday Sermons, and it's filled with past and present messages in Revelation, Genesis, and Exodus. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear it, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services for the Anchor Sunday Sermons. Support for both of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up, for our redemption draws nearer.